Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Psalms, chapter 127, verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm, chapter 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning to worship God. If you're a guest, we thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, It encourages us that you're here. We look forward to spending hopefully a lot of the day with you. We hope that you'll stay and eat uh, lunch with us. And uh, we also hope you'll come back and worship with us this evening under the tent. Uh, It encourages us that you're here. and We want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, We want to remind you that our community giveaway day is coming up this coming Saturday and there will be announcements even in this service more about that. Plant that seed in your mind and be figuring out ways you can be involved. And let's all be praying that this will really make a difference and really will help individuals in our community and in their lives. Also, as we already mentioned, welcome to family day. We do want to remind you that after Bible class, this year is the first year we've done this. The serving line will go ahead and open up at 11 o'clock. And that'll give those of you that that either hang around or you go home and change clothes and come back. It'll give you a chance to get through the line. And probably about the time the line is dying down with you guys, then the next service will be dismissed. And uh, and that'll keep the flow going throughout the lines. Uh, If you're a guest, we want you to know we've prepared for you. We are expecting you to be there. We will have plenty of food and we'll look forward to being able uh, to visit with you. Also, this evening, because of there's been such uh, appreciation, I guess, for the study of 40 reasons why people don't like you. Uh, Tonight, underneath the tent, we'll spend a few minutes and look at 30 reasons why people do like you out of the book of Proverbs. Now, we won't really get through 30 reasons, but we'll have a handout and we'll get through as many uh, that we can. And then you can take that and that'll bring that series to an end. Also, we want to inform you. Uh, that our adult Bible classes will be meeting together, a combined service uh, in Bible class next Sunday morning. That'll probably be our last time to do that this calendar year. As you know, there are four Sundays in this month, and you'll notice the curriculum that the elders uh, have made available through Tim Martin's writing this month about holiness in our relationships and our family. And we hope that this final session together will be a real benefit to each one of us individually, as well as our families, as well as collectively as a church body. Uh, We'll be saying more about that over the next few days, but make your plans. And if you're a teacher, just keep in mind that that is taking place this next Sunday. As we think about a better marriage in 30 minutes, is that possible? Is there any way we can do that? You know that if you've been married more than a week or two, Uh, You know that there's nothing simple about marriage. I think about uh, this little write-up. It was a tech support that kind of illustrates what maybe some of us have been through from time to time. This young lady writes and she says, Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0 and noticed a slowdown in the performance of flower and jewelry applications that had operated flawlessly under boyfriend 5.0. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs such as Romance 9.9 and installed undesirable programs such as NFL 5.0 and NBA 3.0. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs and House Cleaning 2.6 simply crashes the system. I've tried running Nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Signed, Desperate. Tech support replies back, Dear Desperate, 
First, keep in mind that Boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while Husband 1.0 is an operating system. Install Tears 6.2 and enter the command C colon backslash, I thought you loved me. Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the application Guilt 3.0 and Flower 7.0. But remember, overuse can cause Husband 1.0 to default to Grumpy Silence 2.5. Do not install Mother-in-Law 1.0 or reinstall another boyfriend program. These are not supported applications and will crash Husband 1.0. In summary, Husband 1.0 is a great program, but it does have a limited memory and cannot learn new applications quickly. You might consider buying additional software to improve the performance. I personally recommend Hot Food 3.0 and Lingerie 6.9. Good luck. (laughs) Albert Einstein perhaps said it right when he said... Men marry women hoping that they will never change. Women marry men expecting them to change. And invariably, they both are disappointed. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Are you willing in these next 30 minutes to not only learn, but to truly submit your heart and say... God, let your will be done. Perhaps you've had a house constructed before. And if so, you probably found a contractor and you probably took blueprints to them. You took architectural renderings to them and you said to the contractor, this is what we want you to build. Our problem is when we do that in marriage. God, we we like your design of marriage and we want to participate in it, but we want to tell you. I want to tell you the husband I want to be in marriage. I I want to tell you the wife I want to be. God, this is the way we want our family to be. And listen, it doesn't work that way. We do not come out with a holy matrimony when we bring to God telling him what we want marriage to be. What if instead we said, you know what, Lord, we're going to let you build. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Lord, we're going to let you guard. What is it you want us to build? What is it that you want us to guard in our marriage? And we're going to let your will be done. Anatomy. I'm going to cut him open. We've been talking now for four weeks about, isn't it wonderful physically that someone stood over a corpse and and had the gumption to say, I'm going to cut him open. Now, when you and I go to clinics and hospitals and stand before doctors and nurses today, we literally stand on the findings of what individuals found when they decided we're going to stop guessing about how the human body works and we're going to cut deeper into it and we're going to find out how does it work. And so in this series, if you've been here, you know, we really haven't gotten to the fluff and what some might even think is the fun stuff. We've gone much deeper. On this next slide, you see some of the things that we learn whenever you look into the deep anatomy of a spiritual relationship. It's individuals that know that this earth is not their home. The very first verse of 1 Peter, the first chapter, we have feet that's traveling through this earth. If I know that as a husband, I can be a better husband to my wife if I realize this earth is not our home. I can be a better parent. We can have better marriages. We can know where we're headed. Now, if that is true, we have to think about how dedicated are we to this. When he says in verse 7 about genuine faith, he is talking about not just, I believe there's a God. He's saying a faith that says, I will sacrifice all to stay faithful to God. It's a faith that's willing to sacrifice. In other words, 
we think about family commitment, the first and greatest family commitment we make is our Father in heaven. And when we are committed fully to him and realize, Lord, I want to spend an eternity with you, pilgrim's feet. And I am genuine in that commitment. I have genuine faith. And then that affects coming out of verse 13 through 15, gird up the loins of your mind. He says there, I'm going to roll up the sleeves of my mind and I am going to be like God in the sense that he is holy. I want to be holy in all of my conduct because going back around to the beginning, We want our soul purified. In those passages, those verses that close out the first chapter, he makes it real clear that flesh, flowers, grass, those things fade away. But there are things that will remain forever, and it's the Word of God. We can count on it. It's true today. It's true for eternity. And our soul. Will we live by the Word of God so that our soul will be right with the Father? Now, with that in mind, that brought us to a second lesson. And that second lesson is all about submissiveness. This morning I asked you, are we willing to submit to God's teaching? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I can bow up against God. I'm not going to submit to you, God. I'm going to do it the way I want. Or I could say, Lord, I do submit to you. I want your will to be done in my life. Now, with that in mind, let's spend some time in 1 Peter, the third chapter. If you have your Bibles, be opening up to 1 Peter, the third chapter. It's a beautiful, challenging topic about husbands and wives in the Bible in your pew. It's 1077, if you want to turn there, 1077. Now, we're going to try our best to spend about equal time on each, the husband and the wife. Although, in this particular passage, Peter spends six verses on the wife and one on the husband. I didn't write it. I just preach it. But now if we did go over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we'd see that he spends, Paul spends a lot more time on the husbands in Ephesians five than the wives. So if we put the two passages together, it evens out pretty well. But even in just spending one verse with, with the husbands here, he, he says a mouthful. He says plenty. The truth is this morning, we won't even get close to being able to dig as deep as what we need to dig into the anatomy. But what I hope is I hope we begin to go deeper than the surface. And I hope today sparks an interest in all of us that says, I really want to dig deeper into the relationship that God expects me to have, not only with him, but with my family. First, I'd like for you to notice a woman can win. She can win her husband. How? When to what? Let's think about this as we read 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 1 and 2. Wives... Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some, talking about some husbands, do not obey the word of God, they, without a word, in other words, words from the wife probably, may be one, talking about one to Christ, their soul would be one, by the conduct of their wives, when they observe their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Wives, what is it that you could win? What is it that you would want to win? Right now, the genie popped out of a bottle and and said, I'll let you win one thing with your husband. What would it be? Would you pick something from a selfish nature? Oh, I've always wanted this and he's always been in my way. He's always stopped me with this. Or if you could pick one thing that you could win with your husband, what would be the one thing? You know, in this part of the country, St. Jude for several years now, has given away a house. 
This year, in 2012, the house is worth $560,000 in Franklin, Tennessee, and you can spend $100 to raffle a ticket. I'm not advocating raffling a ticket. If you want to help a cause, give money to it. You don't have to gamble to help a cause. But what if a wife, what if a wife said, I'm going to win a half a million dollar house for my family? That's the best thing I could do. What if you could win something very powerful? Like, just for illustration's sake, what if there was something right now, either Ann Romney or Michelle Obama, what if there's something one of them could do right now that would seal it up and their husband could win the presidency of the United States of America and everybody knew, wow, his wife won that for him. What if you could win the very life? Do you remember the story of Abigail? You remember David was still fleeing from Saul? And, and he, in his hiding out, was doing things to literally provide a living. And so Nabal was a very, very wealthy man. And, and so apparently what David and his men had done is they had protected a lot of his sheep and his goats. And so it came time for David, apparently feeling like it was just owed to him, he sent 10 men down to collect some food. Look, we've been taking care of your sheep. You, you should provide something for us. And, and David's men go down and, and, and Nabal is so arrogant. He acts like he doesn't even know who David is. And he sends them back and David is infuriated. Listen, David did not do the right thing here. But David literally tells his men, strap on their swords. They're going to go down and they're going to kill every man associated with Nabal's establishment. He's a wealthy man. He would have had a lot of servants. He's going to kill them all. And you remember Abigail, which the Bible says was very beautiful. She understands what's about to happen. And in her wisdom, she starts baking. She takes 200 loaves of bread. She takes five dressed sheep. She takes loads of raisins and all kinds of roasted grains. And she loads up donkeys full. And she meets David. And she has a conversation with him. Says, look, these are the things you wanted. Just spare the life of my husband. And, And notice here what David said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hands. See, David wasn't thankful now for who he was about to be. He's thankful that she stopped him from doing what he should not have done. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you unless you had hastened and come to meet me? Surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. Wives, Jenny in the bottle, and you could win one thing. Would you win additional years onto his life? Like Abigail, I'm going to spare his life. Would you win a lot of money for him? Would you win a lot of power? Or if you could wish one thing, would it be what's taught in Peter? Would you win his soul? Listen, until we recognize the fact that when we cut deep into spiritual relationships, what we find, you can't get away from it. It starts with it, it runs all the way through, and it ends with it. And that is individuals that recognize this earth is not their home. And everybody that they share in a relationship, their greatest achievement is to say, I want to help you get to heaven. So how are you going to win that? How is it that you can have great impact upon your husband? You can't stand for him on the day of judgment. 
You can't live his life for him. You know these things. So how is it that you can have any impact upon winning his soul? Isn't it interesting when we go back to that same text of 1 Peter 3 and 1, notice it says that you can win him, but notice it says without a word. Isn't it interesting how straightforward God is about not nagging? It is so easy for us to believe that there is great power in nagging. We'll just pause here for a moment. And, and husbands, this is not for you to elbow your wife about. This is for each of us to stop to think because wives are not the only ones that nag. Each of us needs to stop and think, do I really believe that if I say something over and over and over that my spouse is going to start doing it just because I say it over and over and over? Or if, if I just sigh real loud as I go do what I previously asked them to do, some way that's going to guilt them that they'll do it next time. Or if I just put a to-do list up and, and, and I keep it prominently placed in front of them everywhere they go and I do it several times a day, some way that's going to work. Now, what's the definition of insanity? Isn't that interesting? You've been trying it all these years and it's never worked. And what about if this morning we say, I want to see what God has to say. What does work? Well, let's listen first to what God says about nagging. We already know from this passage here, he says, if you want to win his soul, nagging is not going to win his soul. Proverbs 21 and 9, Proverbs 21 and 9, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Skip down 10 more verses. Keep in mind, this is a wise man writing to his son. I'm sure if he'd been writing to his daughter, he could have flipped these around. But since he's writing to his son, he's trying to urge his son what kind of wife that he would marry. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. What is God trying to tell us? God not only is telling us what kind of woman we don't want to be, or men, especially if you're single, what kind of woman you don't want to marry. But what he's also doing is saying, don't you get it? Nagging is like saying to, to your spouse, I'm going to give you some soundproof earmuffs and I want you to put these on so that, so that we accomplish nothing over the next few minutes. And so imagine, next time you're getting ready to nag, it's saying, put these soundproof earmuffs on and then while you put them on, I'm just going to nag and nag and nag and nag. And some way I feel better because I think I've put you in your place and what you feel like is, wow, I wish I could find a corner in the attic to live. I would be a lot more happy right now if I lived by myself in the wilderness. That's not God's plan. And that's not how you win. Instead, notice this very same context as we go back to it. He says we win by the conduct. Look there, wives, again, as he says, is without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. It's interesting here to look at the word chase. When we see the word chase here, we see that it is in a very similar root to that of, no surprise is it, holiness. First Peter has been dealing with that aspect of holiness. And so he, as a matter of fact, the word for chaste is hagnos. The word for holiness is hagios. See how similar those are? Both deal with, with the holiness. Both deal with the purity. And so what is he saying? He's saying instead of letting your words be repetitious nagging, instead let your pure, holy conduct. And notice he says, which they observe. We can't miss how our spouse lives. If your spouse is ungodly, you can't miss it, can you? If they're godly, you can't miss it. 
And so if we want to make a powerful statement, it's not made in volume of a voice. If we want to make a powerful statement, it is in the way that we live. Let them see our holy, our chaste, our pure conduct day in and day out. Well, what is chaste conduct? Again, you're not going to go out to any, any secular marriage counseling and them say, oh, you want to work on your marriage? Let me tell you, you need to really work on your chaste conduct. You're not going to hear that. We're digging deeper into the spiritual anatomy here of relationships. So since we're not going to understand this just by our own flesh and blood, we're not going to understand this by human reasoning or or human philosophy. We've got to go to God to say, God, help us. We don't really understand what you're talking about here. What is it that you want the wife to be in conduct? And notice verse 3 and 4. In 3 and 4, we see here that it deals with an inner beauty. Do not let the adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Notice this. With incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This beauty that can have a powerful impact upon husbands, and it's far more powerful than nagging, is to say, work on an inner person and make the inner person more beautiful. And naturally, in every civilization, women have been concerned about their hair, their adornments of jewelry, and about fine apparel. God's the one who created beauty. And throughout the scriptures, He didn't hesitate to describe when women were beautiful. Abigail was an example. Sarah was an example. The virtuous woman made sure even her household was beautiful. God's not opposed to outward beauty. It's usually what attracts the very first attraction as a a man looks upon a woman is first that outward beauty. Look, he's not opposed to that at all. But what he's saying is make sure that your beauty is deeper than skin deep. Well, what is that beauty that's deeper than skin deep? He says, that's the beauty that will last forever. The outside beauty is fleeting, but the inner beauty is deep. What is it? A meek and a quiet spirit. Meek or gentle. It's the idea of handing the reins over to God. God, I'm going to let you have control of my life. What if a woman says that and lives that in everything in her life? Lord, I'm going to let your will be done. Think of the wife that she's going to be. Think of the mother that she's going to be. And the tranquil, the quiet is not just shh. Speak in a long tone of voice. The, the, the tranquil is the idea of peaceful. When a man has had a horrible day, and I'm not saying this to say that women can't, but just stick with this for a minute. When a man is having a horrible day, and maybe a customer after customer has, has just been a great disappointment, and, and maybe a, an employer has, has been a great disappointment, maybe a friend has been difficult to deal with, the last thing a man wants to do is go home to a place where his house is in constant turmoil. Listen. The woman sets the tone of the home. You put a loud, bickering woman in the home, and that becomes the tone of the home. Your kids are having a hard day at school. They had a hard day with the coach. A friend has stabbed them in the back. Do you want your child thinking, wow, after a day like today, I just can't stand to go home? Or do you want your husband and do you want your children thinking, you know what? I've had a horrible day. I can't wait to get home because that's always a good place to be. We get to create what kind of home we have. And wives probably have the greatest impact upon that than any one person in the home. God gives you a powerful place. What about husbands? 
What is it that we can learn? Look verse 7. 1 Peter the third chapter, verse 7. Husbands likewise, likewise, still talking about that submissiveness. Husbands are submit to Christ. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together, the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What's one of the first things that he says in this passage to husbands? He says, husbands, I want you... I want you to view your home, and this may sound elementary, but trust me, it's not. I want you to view your home as a place to dwell. Now, God creates families for us to dwell together, but in our culture today, the very idea of families dwelling together has become a minority. Right now, just in recent years, we've entered the first time where more children born right now will live for an extended period of time without their father in their home than will by the time they reach age 18. You see, the idea of saying to a man, I want you to dwell with your wife and with your children continually, more fathers won't than will right now. So the idea of saying, well, sure, we're supposed to dwell. Don't just slough that one off. We really, as men, need to take it to heart. Do we believe that? Are we committed to that? Are we going to dwell with our wives and with our children? Now, I want to give you an illustration, and by no means is this the most important, but just to kind of emphasize the scope of this problem. Some of you about my age, you remember watching a television show about the the million-dollar man. And you know, it, which one was more intriguing? The fact that he could run over 60 miles an hour or, or was it the fact that he cost a million dollars? You know, I remember even as a kid being intrigued with both. Wow, can you imagine if it costs a million dollars to put you back on your feet again? All right, how about this? In America today, 2006 reports revealed this. We have a hundred billion dollar man. There are 14 different programs. There are federal programs. And all of these programs go to one man. Can you believe that? Your taxes are going to one man. He's a hundred billion dollar man a year. You know who he is? He's the absentee father. All 99.8 billion dollars a year goes to the man that fathers children and then won't live with them and take care of them. Listen, we want to do something to make a huge difference in the lives of our wife and of our children. We can begin with this simple teaching. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. But notice, we dwell with them for a reason. It's not good enough to say, well, I live under the same roof. Notice he says, we dwell with them Some translations say according to knowledge. Other translations say we dwell with them with understanding. Now, time doesn't permit all the jokes that we could tell about a husband trying to understand his wife. Isn't it safe to say that we are different genders, we come from different backgrounds, and we usually even have different personalities? Listen, none of those three are an exaggeration. All three of them bring tremendous differences. And now God says, I'm assuming with a straight face, I want you to understand them. Now we have reason to go home. I don't know a man here that would honestly say, oh, it's easy to understand my wife. I know I've been working on it for 24 years, and I think I understand her a little bit better than the day I got married. But I can tell you right now, I don't understand my wife, but I can tell you this. I want my goal as a committed Christian husband to say, I'm going to come in every day 
and I'm going to live at home. And the purpose for me to live at home is not to escape into my own little world with remote controls around me. It's not for me to have so many hobbies that I don't have to interact with my family. It's not so I just pass through and, and I look for somewhere to go with the guys. Do you come at home and talk and listen and interact? Do you know your wife's favorite color, favorite song, favorite verse in the Bible, favorite Bible character? Do you know her favorite poem? If she made a list right now of three things that she fears the most, would you have any idea what are the three things she fears the most? Do you know her five best friends? Do you know if she made a list of three things she would never want you to change, would you have any idea what that list would be? If there were three things that she would want you to change, do you know what those things are? Listen, if we can say, I don't know many of those things, let's just let our toes be stepped on and say, I need to change the reason I go home. God says, go home so that you can know them. How can we lead people toward heaven when we don't even know what they're going through? The idea that we're roommates does not mean that we know someone. We could take those very same things, husbands, and if we're fathers, if we could say, do we know those things about our children? How can we lead children toward heaven when we do not even know what they're going through? But notice, notice not only do we dwell with them and dwell with them according to knowledge, but notice he gives another teaching there. He says, I want you when you go home and dwell with them. He says, I also want you to lead them with honor. Notice this, this honor here is, is the way you value, the way you esteem them, the way you hold them up. Why? They're the weaker vessel. Weaker spiritually? Any congregation I've ever been a part of, there are more stronger spiritual women than men. So I don't know anybody with, that would say that, that women are weaker spiritually. Most, I think, would agree they're stronger spiritually than most men. How are they weaker The strongest person in the world has always been a man. The average man is much stronger than the average woman. It'll always be that way. And what are you to do with your strength? You as the leader, like Christ is the church, do you intimidate your wife? Do you stand and tower over and tell her what to do? Do you use a rough or gruff tone of voice to to make her do what she needs to do? Surely you wouldn't push, hit, or intimidate You see, we're to lead in the way Christ leads. And even though you're strong enough, perhaps, to make her do things, God is saying, no, absolutely not. Three women die every day in America because a boyfriend or a husband kills them. Between the ages of 15 to 44 years of age, the number one cause of injury in women between those ages is domestic violence. Listen, we have a serious problem and there's not many people like just go out and openly flaunt it. Hey, I, I tell you what, I've got a problem. When my wife makes me mad, I start pushing her. Listen, that's a problem. And it's a problem you have to address. We cannot be who God wants us to be unless we realize God gave us the strength to protect them, not to injure them. And so the challenge is great. And the challenge is before us that we hold them up and we honor them as the weaker vessel because we realize that it's our responsibility to protect them. We lead as Christ leads. Right now, if you start falling away from Christ, does he come down to earth and catch you with a left hook right in the jaw and say, I told you to go back to church? 
No, you know what? Christ leads you, and if you want to turn away from him, he'll let you turn away from him. His leadership is not by force, even though he could force any of us to do anything that he wants us to do. Leadership of a man is never to force his wife to do anything. Godly parents, they discipline their children. Godly spouses do not punish each other. But then finally this morning, we're running out of time. Notice finally here that it's as being heirs together of the grace of life. See, now we're ending where we started. What do wives want to win? They want to win the souls of their husband. What do husbands want to do? They want to make sure that this grace of life, this gift of eternal life, is something that not only they share in, but their wives share in with them so that they can share in this gift together. One of these days... One of these days, we're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment and and you're going to watch your spouse stand there. Are they going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful? And are you going to be a part of the encouragement, like a stepping stone in that? Or would they hear, depart from me, and you'd be a part of the stumbling block that would cause them not to hear it? Listen, when we dig deep into the anatomy of spiritual relationships, you can't get away from the fact that caring where your spouse spends an eternity is a huge, huge part of the relationship. That's 30 minutes to a better marriage. If we could take those things home and live them, I would guess that every one of us would enjoy a stronger marriage. This morning, isn't it a blessing to be in God's family? Because God is patient. And God knows how to work with imperfect people. That's the only kind of people God's ever worked with. And so this morning, this lesson is, is given to us as an opportunity for us to think, for opportunity for us to learn, an opportunity for our hearts to be kindled and, and fired up to say, you know what, I want to do this. I want to do this God's way. I want to make sure that, that God is exalted in my family and in my relationships. And this morning, the way we begin that is with us individually. What is it that we could do to encourage you this morning? We're glad you're here on family day. We want to be God's family every day. And if we can help you with that, if you're ready to be immersed in Christ, or if you're ready to come back, you need prayers, whatever we can do to encourage or strengthen you, please let us know. Come as we stand and as we sing.